This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. The Word of God from the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found a fellow servant who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay, pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you. Unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is God's word. There's a plethora of information out there on forgiveness. You can do a quick Google search and you'll see that there are so many different ideas and thoughts on what forgiveness is. However, our church, all of our ministries, everything that we do must flow out of what the Bible teaches. As our statement of faith, what we believe as a church says about the Bible is that it's the divine and only rule of Christian faith and practice. Therefore, we go to the scriptures. So, what about when it comes to the topic of forgiveness? Since there are so many different thoughts out there, things that you might have heard yourself, maybe even said, maybe from your friends and family members, but I believe our passage today directly addresses some of those. And we're going to look at three questions that I believe arise from the text. Uh, The first question is, how often should I forgive? 
And the second one is, why should I forgive? And third, what happens if I don't forgive? I think what Matthew's trying to get across simply in this passage is that since God has forgiven us, let us also forgive one another. Since God has forgiven us, we must forgive one another. Let's flesh that out in these three questions. First, how often should I forgive? Peter asked a question in verse 21. He says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Now, what would prompt Peter to ask this question? Well, context is very important. We need to know what's going on around the passage. And in the context, it's church discipline. We see this in verses 15 to 20. This is the second time that Jesus mentions the word church in Matthew's gospel. It's actually the only two times. The first time was in chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail over it. And since Jesus is so concerned about his church, his bride, because he's going to present her, the, the, the global church, He's going to present her as holy and blameless and radiant on the day that he returns. He puts into place this structure to protect the unity and the purity of local churches that make up the global church. So in summary, he says, if your brother or sister sins against you, someone within your own congregation, what he says is that you go to that person directly. There's no pit stop for gossip, for slander. You go right to that person and you confront your brother or your sister in love. And if after many times with other people, because you're supposed to keep bringing other people, if this person doesn't repent, then it's brought to the church and if that brother or sister still does not repent, he or she is then excommunicated. A word we should not be afraid of. But the whole point of that is not to shun people, but it's actually for restoration. It's actually so this person will turn away from their sin and live a life of love and repentance. The church has the authority to do this because they represent king, the king, King Jesus. So as Peter is listening to Jesus say this, he's wondering, well, people sin against each other. People hurt each other. People offend one another. How often then should I forgive my brother? There must be a limit to this. Hence why Peter says seven. Three was the number that in the Jewish context would be pretty fair. If someone has sinned against you three times, that's pretty much it. So Peter being generous himself says seven. But Jesus corrects that. He said it's not seven but 77 times. But let's not miss the point here, it's not about keeping track. If your brother or sister has sinned against you and you realize this is the 75th time that they have done it, you don't approach your brother and say, brother, you got two more strikes and you're out. (laughs) This is what Jesus is teaching here. No, Jesus is teaching that we forgive 
and we continue to forgive. Even when it's painful. And so Jesus goes on to illustrate that in a little bit. But what happens if someone actually does offend us? What if someone sins against us in our local church? And before we get to that, let's clarify something. Both Jesus and Peter are saying, if your brother or sister sins against you. There's a difference between sin and something offensive. And let me clarify that. Sin is offensive. However, something offensive is not always sinful. What do I mean? If your brother comes up to you in a loving way and tells you, brother, I've noticed that when you talk to people, you put them down, you degrade them. I sense that there's a, a sense of, of, of insecurity, and as a result, you're, you're, you're very arrogant. Am I reading that correctly? Now, if someone came up to you and told you that, that would probably be really painful. It would hurt. You might get really angry, actually. You might say some hurtful words. You might storm off. But that person is telling you that in love so that you change, so that you represent Christ more, uh, better. Hence why the Proverbs can say, faithful are the wounds of a friend. On the other hand, if you think someone is annoying, or you just don't like someone just because the way they look, the way they dress, the way they speak, or there's a quirk about them that kinda uh, gets under your skin, Brothers and sisters, that's not sin. That's our hearts that need to be changed. So ask yourself, has this person actually sinned against me? Have they violated what God teaches? Have they broken one of the commands of scripture? Or is this a preference of mine? Sometimes it comes from just these personal values and things that we like. And so when someone doesn't do that, we get upset, we get offended. But that's not sin. Jesus' whole point here is that you don't keep a record of wrongs. You don't tally up in your mind, this person has offended me, they have offended me, they have offended me. Because it's easy to say, I forgive you, and then you're harboring the bitterness and the resentment on the inside. So when your brother or sister sins against you, you forgive them. And when they sin against you again, you forgive them. Well, whoa, right? <laughs> Jesus, are you saying when someone offends me, when they sin against me, I have to just keep on forgiving them? When someone hurts me, they should get hurt in return. But Jesus gives a reason for this. Why should I forgive? Let's see how Jesus addresses that in the second question. Why should I forgive? Jesus starts off by saying, therefore. He's connecting what he just spoke about when Peter asked this question. So anytime you're reading the Bible, you're in a Bible study and you see that word, therefore, you stop. And you say, what did he just say? What did this person just say? Jesus illustrates this with a story. There's a king, he's settling accounts. There's a king and he has servants. They owe him money. So he asks the first guy, he comes up to him, 
And this guy owes 10,000 talents. Now, we might say, well, what in the world is a talent? Because in America, we have Washingtons, we have Lincolns, we have the Benjamins, we have paper currency, so what is a talent? Uh, The translators of our Bible have helped us with this. Uh, You might see it in the footnotes of your Bible. Uh, One talent was about 20 years wages. 20 years salary. One talent. And this guy owed 10,000 talents. Uh, Some of you who are really good at math, or maybe taking math right now, some of you younger kids, and trying to figure out what in the world is that. It's a big number. I know you guys could work on it on, your, on yourself. It's a large number, 200,000 years worth of salary. The whole point of this is that there's no way that he could pay it back. Impossible. Look at what the verse tells us, verse 25. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. It affected his his whole family. It was too large a sum of money. So what does he do? He begs, verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Very bold. Everything? Really? And what does the master do? Verse 27, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. This ginormous debt that he could not pay is forgiven, wiped clean. No amount of budgeting, tax refunds, inheritances could pay back what he owed. None of it. And so the master knowing this has pity on him not in a, oh, you poor child kind of way, but he has compassion. He releases him, forgives him, but it was at a cost to the master. There was still a price to pay. And now that this massive burden is lifted off his shoulders, he goes out and he sees a fellow servant. And we could imagine maybe what's going on through his mind. Man, this humongous debt has been paid for. It's like when you finish paying all your student loans. Like, finally. And here he sees someone else who owes him some money. So what happens? Look at the text, verse 28. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what?" You owe. 100 denarii. Again, bottom of your Bible can be really helpful for this. A denarius was one day's wage. One day. Your eight hour shift at work. Just one day. And he owed him 100 of those. So 100 days worth. That's less than one year of your salary. It's still debt, but it's not huge in comparison to the debt that he owed his master. So what does he do? He began to choke him, verse 28. Pay what you owe. Really? Is this the same guy who's been forgiven this massive debt? And he begins to choke this guy in public? 
Yeah, verse 29. Verse 28 actually says that it was the same servant. And now as he chokes him, this is what the other servant does. Notice the difference, verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Notice back in verse 26, the first servant said, I'll pay you everything, which he couldn't do. And now this servant's more realistic. I'm just going to pay you. He thought he was going to be able to pay back everything to his master, but it was an impossible task. And as he pleads with him, he refuses. He puts him in prison until he could pay back everything. We might look at this and say, how cruel. How can this guy not forgive such a small debt in comparison to his ginormous, massive debt that he was forgiven. Remember Jesus trying to illustrate a point to Peter on why he should forgive his brothers. So what happens? Verse 31, other servants see this. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Distressed. They're seeing this happen. How could this take place? So they go, they tell the master, and this is the key to the passage and to forgiveness, verses 32 to 33. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. It's all about mercy. Because I showed you mercy, because guess what? You deserved to be put in prison until you pay back everything. Because I showed you mercy by not putting you in prison, by actually forgiving all the debt that you owed, should you not have had mercy on your brother, your fellow servant, Although this servant rightly deserved to be sold with his wife and his children until he paid a debt that he couldn't pay, which implies forever, he received mercy from his master. All his debt was forgiven, and he didn't deserve it. There's a parallel here, brothers and sisters, that this is what God, the master, the king, has done for us. This is what Jesus is trying to show and illustrate here. That the massive debt, ginormous debt, is our sin. That God demands perfection. And every single one of us fails. There's nothing that we can do to pay God back. At all. And so we deserving of eternal punishment, what does God do? He shows amazing mercy. He sends his only son to pay the price. The price was the life of Jesus Christ. So it's on the cross, Jesus pays the price. God demands perfection, we can't meet that, and so the payment is death. 
So Jesus does what we could never do. He lives in perfect obedience to the Father, and it costs Jesus' life so that we might be forgiven. We need to wrap our minds around this. We tend to forget that God the Father punished God the Son so that we can stand before God as forgiven. All of our sin paid for, covered at the cross. As Matthew tells us in the beginning of his gospel concerning Jesus, he says, she, meaning Mary, will bear a son and you should call his name Jesus. Why did Jesus come? You guys ever ask yourself that question? Why did Jesus come? Matthew answers that for us. For, he's given the reason, he will save his people from their sins. Jesus pays the debt himself because we couldn't. Jesus shed his blood for us so that our sins could be forgiven, atoned for, covered, wiped away, cast from the east, from the west. That's what Jesus did. And remember too that when Jesus was on the cross with nails in his hands, a crown of thorns on his head, beaten, mocked, in between two criminals, deemed as a criminal himself, what words come out of Jesus' mouth? Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So as we think about the Lord's Supper, this meal that we'll partake in next week, let's remember, one, that it's not a snack that we take at the end of the service once a month. And it's not for everyone. It's only for Christians, those who believe in Jesus Christ for their salvation, But when you come to that meal, when you take that meal, remind yourself that this meal reminds you of what Jesus did. It reminds you that your sins have been forgiven by the blood of Christ. That your sins that you have committed yesterday, the sins that you've committed today, will commit today, will commit next week, will commit next year, for the rest of your life, All of your sins are forgiven at the cross. All of it. And so when you take part of that meal, you by faith remember that Christ shed his blood for every single one of my sins and because of him, I stand before God as righteous. Righteous. You are now a part of the new covenant community. A promise God made with his people where he says things like this. This comes from Jeremiah. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And for I will forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more. Friends, when people sin against us, we remember We sometimes count it against them. But God remembers our sin no more. So the fact that God forgives our sins, remembers them no more, should stir in our hearts gratitude, awe. 
Just like the old hymn says, one of my favorites, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. This is the God that we serve. And so now that you're a part of this new covenant community, you, we are to act like our king. One of our values is gospel community, that the church is a taste of heaven. Jesus speaks about the kingdom of heaven in this passage. And Matthew speaks about that a lot in his gospel account. And so we, as the people of God, are the kingdom. We represent Christ. So ask ourselves, how are we doing with that? How do we treat one another? God's new covenant community is marked by forgiveness. So is that represented here in our local church? Are we people who are quick to forgive? When someone sins against us, what is our response? Maybe you're thinking, you don't know what that person did to me. They slandered me. They gossiped. They threw me under the bus. Even put it up on social media. You don't know the pain and the hurt that I'm feeling and still feel to this day. How can I forgive them for such a harsh thing? Maybe it was a Christian who did that. That's the context, it's brothers and sisters in the local church. And it may be very hard, maybe very difficult. However, brother, sister, it is not impossible. What about in cases of divorce, abuse? You, we need each other. We have to consciously and intentionally remind ourselves, remind one another of the mercy of God in Christ that we have been shown so much forgiveness I think we forget this. And I think one of the problems too is that we have such a small view of sin, specifically our sin. But when someone sins against us, we want to choke them. But you memorize and reflect on scriptures like Colossians 1, 13 to 14. He, meaning God, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his son, his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We forget that we all who believe in Jesus are servants of this king and that Jesus shed his blood for his church. And so when someone sins against us in the local church, we have to remind ourselves 
Christ shed his blood for that sheep, just as he shed his blood for me. They stand forgiven before God. How could I not forgive my brother or sister? Because we always have to go back to the picture that Jesus is trying to paint in this story. Is that the debt that you owed to God is ginormous. Gigantic, massive, huge. And so every sin someone commits against you even though some of it is heinous, wicked. It's small in comparison to the sin that we have offended God. So let's remind ourselves of these truths. But what happens if I don't forgive? What happens if I don't forgive my brother or sister? Well, let's look at this last point briefly. The text ends on a sober note, verses 34 and 35. And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now why is the master angry? Why is the master angry? It's because this servant who had this massive debt had been forgiven. And then when he had another servant who owed him such a small amount of money, he doesn't forgive him. He chokes him, has him put in prison. So those of you who are clinging to God's forgiveness yet you don't show forgiveness to other people, to brothers and sisters in the church, do you, do we truly understand the mercy of God in Christ? Because it changes us. It transforms us. Once I know that I have been forgiven so much, I can forgive my brother by God's grace. So have you truly been changed? Have you been captivated by Jesus? You know, in Hebrews it talks about uh, considering Jesus who endured such hostility from sinful men so so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. It all goes back to Christ the person whom we are united to by faith. So the servant is thrown into jail until he should pay his debt. Here's the problem though, his debt is insurmountable. It's too big to ever be paid back. So what's the implication? He'll never come out, ever. Jesus says this is what the heavenly father will do to those who don't forgive their brother from their heart. Now this might be hard for us to digest because we wonder how is it that God is forgiving but he's also just? Is there a contradiction there? 
Well, this isn't the first time Jesus says this in the Lord's Prayer, a prayer that you probably all know. He says, forgive us as we also forgive one another. So that's implied there, but then he explicitly says it later on. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So let me clarify, this is not a conditional thing for salvation. What I mean is that Jesus is not saying, if you forgive your brother, you can earn your way to God. We can only stand before God as righteous because there's another righteousness that's been given to us, and that's Jesus Christ. And he goes on, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. As one pastor puts it, Jesus does not see an issue with God being forgiving and just to punish so severely. And neither should we. We wonder, like, how is it that God can forgive and how is it that he can deliver someone to jailers? And let me clarify another thing. God is in part gracious and part loving and part merciful. God is all of that. So it's not like God is half or 50% love and 50% just. He's truly love and he's truly just. But we should not presume on God's mercy. We live in a society where it's all about us and we're getting fed this all week long. Students at school, we at our jobs, our coworkers, bosses, uh, social media, we are fed that we are good people, that it should be all about us, it's all about our happiness. And then the line that we may hear sometimes is that we deserve the best. But friends, we don't deserve the best. When I look at scripture, there's only one thing that we deserve. That's to be delivered to the jailers forever. So when you don't forgive your brother from your heart, it displays a lack of understanding of the mercy of God. A lack of forgiveness, according to this text, merits the wrath of God. And God is rightly concerned about our hearts since it displays our true desires. The the heart shows us where we really are in our relationship with God and also one another. It displays how much we truly understand the mercy of God in Christ at the cross. So ask yourself, have my sins been forgiven? Let's pray together. Father, we cannot comprehend the the payment, the price of Christ on the cross. And God, we, we sing about it, we teach on it, we learn about it, we study it. And God, your forgiveness towards us who believe in Christ is amazing. God, I pray that we would be people who 
revel in the mercy of God, that we would constantly remind ourselves, remind one another, uh, teach it to our kids that God is so merciful. So Lord, I pray that would grip our hearts, that the truth of Christ would stir in us gratitude and love, that we might forgive one another from the heart. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for his work on the cross. Thank you for the resurrection, the ascension. And Lord, we look forward to the day that Christ will return where we can worship you with all the saints gathered from all the nations around your throne and worship you. Thank you, Father. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Redeemer, our Savior, our older brother. Amen.